Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, welcome back to another episode on Start By Listening. It is the friendly therapist, Jennifer, here with you today. Also, I have with me joining on podcast is Marcy Voris. She is my co-pilot today. She is my co-worker. And uh, Marcy, welcome back. Thank you for having me today. Oh, yeah. So as always to our listeners, we are coming live from our home. So you could hear some dogs barking. You might hear a phone ringing. You know, it is us being authentic and real. That's the way I see it. Yes, absolutely. I am sure my dog will make her presence known at some point. (laughs) Mine possibly will too. I have to tell you, it is April where we are here in Kentucky. And I am looking out my home office, which is my sunroom. Oh my gosh, it is a beautiful day. The sun is shining. I see the birds eating the bird food I've put out. There are squirrels. My daylilies are popping through. Oh, spring. Actually, it's- some green coming in. And addition, I have the same thing. I have uh, bird feeders and I have a squirrel feeder. But a new addition to my squirrel feeder is a chipmunk. And he's the most adorable thing. His name is Dale. And um, he keeps coming and stuffing his little cheeks full of nuts. Love it. Oh, you need to take a video of Dale and send it to me. That'd be a great anchor for a polyvagal moment is having oh, a video of Dale. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it is it really is a beautiful day because yesterday was kind of yucky it was rainy Mm -hmm. but I'm just loving the sunshine and I'm loving my view it's a beautiful day absolutely well it is April and April is a very special month for us in the work that we do And there might be a lot of people who are listening that aren't aware of what the month of April is for um, survivors of sexual assault, for those who work in the field, but it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month for the whole month. And I will be the first to tell you, I didn't know anything about this until I actually started working at New Beginnings. Like I didn't know it existed. Agree. I I knew very, very little about it. Well, you know, and even though I've been in this field now almost six years, when I was coming up with topics for this season, I realized I don't even know the history. Honest to God. I've been working in the field. I don't even know the history. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be honest, I didn't know, and I still don't know all of it, but thank God for Google. (laughs) Yes, but you know, it's not a pretty history. No, it it is not. Um, 
But you know, when you think about different movements that have occurred in our world, or even in our nation, rarely are they very pretty. That's true. Very true. I mean, when I think about change and I think about social justice, I really think about blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that bothers me the most about, you know, doing a little, a little, and I mean a little to be very vulnerable and honest, uh, of research on this is there has been movements for a very long time to try to um, help individuals that have been a a victim of sexual assault however it's really been fairly recent in our history where something's been done about it Mm -hmm. and I think that's was the most troubling thing for me yeah and you know I'm gonna I'm just gonna say this out loud but we are two white bodies we are not bodies of culture And so our experience in delving into this history of Sexual Assault Awareness Month is from a privileged experience of being in a white body. Absolutely, it is. And so, you know, as you and I were kind of doing some research and looking and like, oh, what is our history? We both were kind of um, caught off guard by the roots of the movement and the significance and the intersectionality of the civil rights movement, systemic oppression, racism, feminism, and just the women's rights movement in general. Like, I really wasn't aware of that until I really started to look into that. And uh, I realized that I don't know a lot about how rape crisis centers developed and the origination of the, the need. Like when I say the origination of the need, I mean, I understand that rape crisis centers were birthed from, um, women and men being raped. I I understand this, right? But like the true violence of the beginnings of how the histories of that intersectionality intersectionality Mm -hmm. originate. And it is, it's a big sigh. It is heavy. Yes, it's very heavy. And when looking at some of the research I think for myself as a, is having privilege mm-hmm. of being a white body. Um, it just, the privilege was uh, in the research. You could even see privilege given to white women mm-hmm. through this movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's heavy on my heart. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling a dorsal moment in my nervous system. Yes. 
where it's kind of like, I want to withdraw. I want to isolate. I don't want to really think about um, I don't really want to think about that rape was not a crime until recently. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to think about that being married and being raped was okay. I don't want to think about viewing women as property as a way to pass laws against rape. I don't want to think about bodies of culture um, whose bodies were used and abused and raped for the entitlement and the um, power and control of white bodies. I don't, I don't want to think about that. Mm-hmm. And I also know it's very important that when we look at history, we do have to view all of history, not just, you know, those parts that we want to know about. And so, you know, that's why I said we are two white bodies on this podcast. And it was a little jarring to to really see some of the history because what I was thinking when I came up with the topic, you know, because April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month and we celebrate that, right? In our Commonwealth mm-hmm. of Kentucky, we celebrate that in the, the different centers where we all work across the state of Kentucky. And it's always one of social activism, one of celebrating, right? that we have awareness. Mm -hmm. I've never really heard anybody talk about the history. And it's just fucking just God awful. Yeah. And I think what you said is what ends up happening. Nobody wants to talk about the really crappy parts of it. So Mm -hmm. let's just gloss over that and, and let's talk about the happier things yeah like and I guess I I don't know if it's just because of my brain I don't know if it's because of my privilege and I just didn't have to think about it right because it's not in my everyday life but and I'll be honestly I I took to google because that's the easiest and fastest way to write get some information and when it said that the movement really can be traced back to like the 1870s with Ida B. Wells, who was doing a lot of social activism and social justice work around the lynching of bodies of culture. And she herself was a person of a body of culture. Um, And the intersectionality of lynching and sexual assault. I was like, um, yeah, I had never thought of that until just now. And then to go from there to the um, civil rights movement, 
again, thinking about uh, intersectionality. Wow. Like the history of Sexual Assault Awareness Month is long and deep and very rich in um, systemic racism, oppression, slavery. And I don't really know if any of that, if I've ever heard it or witnessed that in the small amount of time that I've been in this field. Yeah. What was it? What did you find that was about President Obama? What did he do? So um, what I found in some of my research was that um, he was, President Obama is the first U.S. president to declare April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month in 2009. Like, that's so recent. Yeah, that's like 13 years? Yes. Yeah, I think. So before him, we didn't even have a month. That's what you're right. telling me. Yes. Look, I've been working in field six, six years. I was like, oh, I thought it always been that way. No, 13 years. Just in the last 13 years. Damn. And, you know, also interesting, um, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center um, was not established until 2000. And it was established as a resource for all state coalitions and rape crisis centers. Hmm. Like, this is all like so recent, like, and you know, you mentioned um, laws about, um, you know, rape and marriage. I mean, that's been within the last 30 years, I want to say, at least here in our state. Um, It's just this is the thing I think that blew my mind so much is that, you know, when was the the first rape crisis center? I think it said was 1970. Yeah. In California. Yeah. So we are really talking about like a 50 year history. And you and I both know that this movement has been around for hundreds of years. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. So it's, it's been within the last 50 years, but yet we can go back and find research where our brothers and sisters who are bodies of culture were advocating, you know, in the 1800s, like, Oh, that's just to me, it's just, it's, it is overwhelming. Like what in the hell did it take society long, so long to get on board? Yeah. And, you know, also I think, and even though it's, you know, even though this has been around for 50 years, I really want to say it's been personally, I think it's been within the last 10 years that we've gotten even more movement on it. 
you know, with the me too hashtag me too, I think brought a whole lot of awareness. Um, I think TikTok and social media is bringing awareness and people are standing up and saying, nope, not going to, we're not going to be part of this. We're not going to be silent anymore. Yeah. And as you were talking about the Me Too movement, I just Googled really quickly when that was started. And uh, that was uh, started by Tarana Burke, who is a person who is a body of culture. And she started that movement in 2006. 11 years later, though, it found global recognition as a viral tweet by actress Alyssa Milano. Mm hmm. Yeah. Another example of how white privilege um, can move movements versus where the real history and cultivation and uh, the real beginnings of movement. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like you had said in 1970s, first rate crisis center that was in California. And then um, it was also where they had the first Take Back the Night event, which I'd really never heard of Take Back the Night. Um, so that was interesting. That was like seven years later. So this is late 70s pushing into the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking right now at the national website and it says that um, the VAWA Act is a direct result of this the movement and VAWA stands for Violence Against Women Act and that was legislated in 1993. I was a junior in high school in 1993. And it says monumental changes like VAWA demonstrated that national efforts promoting sexual violence prevention were needed. Yeah. Advocates began holding marches, events, and observances even before Sexual Assault Awareness Month was first nationally observed. Wow. Isn't that just wild? It's, uh, I mean, I am, my nervous system is overwhelmed with, with the emotion and heaviness of this. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, part of the website for the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and I'll put that in the details of the show for those who want to check out that website. This is just amazing. Um, Rosa Parks. Okay. I have known about Rosa Parks since a kid. Mm -hmm. I understand that she was a a very important and integral piece of the civil rights movement because of her silent activism and silent protest of not giving up her seat. But so in reading the roots of the movement for sexual assault awareness, listen to this. 
Activism and mobilization to address sexual assault and violence against women dates as far back as the early 1900s. Well, I would dare say probably even further. Mm -hmm. These efforts began to gain traction in the 40s and 50s as other movements for social change grew and were championed by women of color, including civil rights icon Rosa Parks. Prior to her role in the Montgomery bus boycotts, Rosa Parks advocated for justice for survivors of sexual assault and worked with the NAACP investigating cases of rape of Black women. I never knew that until just now. Wow. In 1944, Rosa Parks launched a nationwide campaign called the Committee for Equal Justice for, uh, I'm going to say, Recy Taylor, R-E-C-Y Taylor, a person, to demand protections for Black women and accountability for Recy Taylor's assailants. Despite a confession from one of her attackers, the case never went to trial as an all-white male grand jury refused to indict the men involved. Rosa Parks' work was fundamental in developing her own tools as an activist, but also mm -hmm. in propelling activism around sexual assault. Like, never once in school did I learn that information about Rosa Parks. As I think you and I have been on a different journey, um, examining our white privilege and I think this just goes to add what we have been learning that um, we weren't taught a lot about history. No. There's a lot of history that we were never made aware of. Wow. So it was in San Francisco that the first uh, rape crisis center opened. Okay. And it says by 1976, there were over 400 rape crisis centers offering similar services and activities to prevent sexual violence at the local level. Wow. During this era, the seventies, survivors became more emboldened to share their stories. In 1971, New York radical feminists, I wonder if that was a group, <laughs> hold or held the first ever speak out on rape with around 300 women in attendance. The first Take Back the Night event occurred in 1978 with over 5,000 participants. And this event has continued today with local communities and college campuses hosting events all around the country. Yeah. And remember how I talked a little bit about VAWA earlier, the Violence Against Women Act mm -hmm. that happened in 1993? Okay, so this bill was the first national law requiring law enforcement. So that means police officers, detectives, 
to treat gender violence as a crime rather than a private family matter. So that also 93. Yeah. That also includes like domestic violence. Right. Not just sexual assault. Yeah. VAWA was also designed to strengthen legal protections for victims of domestic violence and sexual violence, as well as expand services to survivors and their children. And finally, victims had legal right to protections. Just think about that. Legal rights to protection. Before then, there was no legal rights to protection. That's what that says. Mm-hmm. VAWA demonstrated the need for a nationally coordinated effort to advocate for sexual violence prevention. And so, as you so eloquently stated, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center was established in 2000. Wow. Wow. This is wild. Like, this is wild to just sit here and read this and take in the depth of this history. It is so much more than I thought. Mm-hmm. So and much you know, more. And, you know, in that, um, I would, when and we were reading on some things, it was, there was a, one that discussed that it was like the 1970s, 19, early 80s, before they um, had laws to protect children against sexual violence. So, you know, that, I mean, I, I mean, that just, I mean, kids. But, you know, if you think about what it said about the, um, the VAWA, um, the, that act said, you know, before it was always looked at as a private family matter. Mm. And so I would imagine any issues with a child was probably looked at that way too. Okay, so you got me. So I'm, I'm on the Google right now, y'all. I know y'all can't see me, but Marcy can. I'm on the Google because I'm curious now because you said about 30 years ago, when Kentucky did away with the marital rape law, right? So I, I was I like, think, Let me... I think, but I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. So listen, so I, I, I googled that. I'm like, I'm curious. I'm googled that. So it says that, well, here it is, marital rape. Historically, oh, and this information is coming from KSAP, which is the Kentucky Association of Sexual Assault Programs. It's like they're our mothership for our our center. That's what I call it, mothership. (laughs) So marital rape in the state of Kentucky, excuse me, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Historically, Kentucky law defined rape as a crime committed against someone other than a spouse. 
1990, the Kentucky General Assembly passed legislation making it a felony offense to rape one's spouse by eliminating the so-called marriage exemption. However, the law still required that spousal rape be reported within a year in order for prosecution to proceed. Fortunately, this reporting limitation was removed in 2000. Now, marital rape is prosecuted under the same statutes as offenses committed against others. 1990, Marcy, I was a freshman in high school, 1990. Yeah. So until 1990, but you in Kentucky, you could rape your, your spouse. And the and only way you would be able to do anything about it is if you did it within a year. So for 10 years, if you wanted to report that your spouse raped you, it had to have been done with a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, my stars. That's depressing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say that's depressing. Yeah. So it set up a culture mm-hmm. of not reporting. It set up a culture of silence. Yes. And if you also, you know, you think about like with domestic violence, there's so much stigma of coming forward. Uh, of not being believed, right? Mm-hmm. Or not only not being believed, but being told, oh, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would anyone speak up? Yep. It's scary. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is just wild. I'll also, I'll drop the KSAP one too, you know, in the, uh, the show details. This is just. That was something. interesting that you just scrolled past. Um, in 1978, the General Assembly passed the Rape Shield Law, which prevented the use of testimony about a victim's sexual history as evidence during a trial. So until prior to 1978, that meant that you could, the defense could bring into the courtroom, and I'm going to use the word woman because historically that's what we have seen, a woman's sexual activity against her. Therefore, slut shaming, therefore, degrading, dehumanizing, victim blaming, victim blaming. Wow. Well, I have to say, I'm glad that we are doing better now. Yeah. (laughs) But my gut is 
that we probably have a lot more to do. Oh, for sure. For sure. But isn't it, I mean, it's just, it's heavy to think about. I, I'm just going to talk. A, yeah, I'm just going to say it out loud. I'm just going to own it. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to own it. I'm going to say it loud. It is heavy to think about your mother's generation, my mother's generation, our grandmothers and great grandmothers' generations. It is very heavy to think about what so many people have endured. Um, because there were no laws to protect them. Yes. And this is not even, I mean, because we don't have enough time to even get into children. I'm just, I'm just sticking with adults right now, you know. Just the amount of trauma. Think about that as generational trauma. Now, I'm not saying that that our family members were raped and I'm not saying that, or maybe they were, we don't know, right? We, we don't know, right. we don't know, but just the generations of women who have endured trauma. And that's, that's fucking heavy. Mm -hmm. With no protection. Wow. And I'm just going to say this too and be very vulnerable because this is what is honestly on my heart is our, your and my ancestors had it probably had, they had their white privilege. Mm -hmm. And so there is something to be said about that in that just by reading through some of this history, being a body of culture, there is the, there is so much more oppression and violence that appeared to be had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was for men and women, because one of the things that it talked about was they would use raping a white woman mm -hmm. as a means to justify lynching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, that is the history of the birth of the Sexual Assault Awareness Month. That's the history. It, is, it was uh, born out of 
the trauma, the indignity, the um, trying to form the word, the discounting of the lives of bodies of culture. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting when we begin to really deep dive into a history and we begin to for lack of a better phrase, I'm going to say we begin to look at the roots, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like when you, when you think about like the ACEs, for example, the adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. you know, like you're more likely to develop disease processes, health concerns, mental health issues. You know, if you grew up in a home where there was violence, you know, if mm -hmm. you've had somebody commit suicide in your family, if you have a parent that's in jail or been in those kinds of things, right? Those mm -hmm. are the experiences. But when you look at the roots of the ACEs, remember when I showed like the tree, all the leaves were the experiences, but what were the roots? What gave birth mm -hmm. to those experiences? Racism environmental pollution, poverty, systemic oppression. Mm -hmm. You know, so what gave birth to um, the intersection of movements of sexual assault awareness movement mm -hmm. and the intersection of um, the civil rights movement? Mm-hmm. And I really never thought about, nor had I learned just how closely they were intersected. Right. Until today. Yeah. I think this has started a journey that I will continue to go down and try to learn more. Mm -hmm. well, not only that, before 1970, or the early 70s, if a woman was raped, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm owning that I'm saying a woman, uh, there were no resources. Mm -hmm. If a man was raped, there were no resources. There were no sane nurses like we have now to conduct exams. There were no safe kits, right, to collect DNA, because guess mm -hmm. what? DNA stuff wasn't even around in the 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. All it was was your word against somebody else's word, literally. Right. So, you know, by saying that, we have a very recent history of being able to make changes, but... We've done a lot in these 50 years. Mm -hmm. Having the same nurse, having those safe kits, uh, or the kits to be able to do, you know, a rape survivor sexual history 
that they can't be used against them in court. Um, the the government realizing that these this cause and rape crisis centers that they need funding so that we can help people. Um, you know, and that we still advocate for other laws to continue to strive for additional changes for survivors. Um, and we've gotten, you know, like what we said with the Me Too movement and some other things, we've brought more light to different kinds of sexual harm we've we've been able to stand up and say yes this is sexual violence just because they're your friend or they're your boyfriend or they're your girlfriend or they're your spouse consent wasn't given it's not okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I for one hope that the next 20, 50, 60 years will be even more advancement Me for, too. for the rights of survivors, for social justice, for the eradication of poverty and systemic oppression and racism. Yes. And, you know, that is what the intersection of politics, or I should say intersection of social justice politics is all about, is that we all stand together until none of us have to stand anymore. Mm, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I am honored that I get to advocate and be a part of this movement. Yeah, me too. In that, yeah. as you said, we make even more strides in the future and it's just not accepted at all. Yeah. That's our goal, right? Our goal is to, to work ourselves out of a job, Marcy. That's our goal. Absolutely. I'm okay. I, you know, that's one time I think I'd be okay with working myself out of a job. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Marcy, thank you so much for joining me today on what this was not what I was expecting, but was what was needed, right? And uh, I definitely think both you and I have learned a lot and will probably continue to learn and mm -hmm. go back and educate our uh, clinical group as well, you know, or maybe they already know and they just never told us, who knows? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was really, it was very interesting. It was a journey for my nervous system today. Absolutely. Yeah. I Very think I'm going to need to spend a, a few minutes when we're done outside enjoying this pretty, the pretty um, day that we've been given. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. 
Yes. Work, walking our way back up the ladder toward ventral. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to just thank everybody for tuning in and uh, starting by listening and doing your own research. And I'll drop some links in the details of the show for the podcast where you guys can go and read up on your own. And I encourage you, if you are living in a different state in the United States, to go look at your state laws and find out uh, about your state's history with sexual assault. Um, Because you too might find some things that you didn't think existed. So, yeah. So thank you so much, Marcy, for joining me today. It was a privilege to have you with me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, until next time. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026 awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.